Well, good morning. My name is Justin, and thank you once again for joining us in worship uh, as we walk through John chapter 9 this morning. Uh, I hope that it instructs our hearts and encourages us towards being a bold witness for God. That's uh, the kind of overarching theme that I really want to uh, push us towards this morning. What does it look like for us to be a bold witness for God? In 2019, uh, Barna Research, if you're not familiar with Barna Research, Barna is the group uh, that provides faith leaders with data and research to kind of help navigate the spiritual climate of our world. And so they teamed up with Alpha, which is the organization we team up with, uh, to help introduce people to Jesus. And it's a, an opportunity, Alpha is a, a safe space to ask dangerous questions where people get to come and dialogue about the things of Jesus and the Bible and ultimately, hopefully, prayerfully find faith in Jesus. And so Barna, the, the research group, teamed up with Alpha and they, they basically began to look at the number of factors that are curbing Christians' enthusiasm for sharing their faith. Uh, this was done in attempts to answer the question, why is it, why are Christians avoiding participating in evangelism? And what recent studies have shown that when you look at any demographic of people, about 95 to 97%, if you look at all the different age groups and demographics, about 95 to 97% of Christians believe that part of their faith means being a witness about Jesus, okay? Now, you'll start to see millennials actually feel the most equipped to be able to engage with people about their faith in Jesus. And as that demographic gets older, people feel less inclined and less equipped to be able to speak to others or dialogue with others about the things of Jesus. And so, when we think about this data and, and we think that people believe that, they're, that sharing your faith is a part of your Christian witness and that particularly millennials feel equipped to share their faith about Jesus, why is it that there's a, a waning desire to share our faith with others? And despite the fact that many millennials, and this is not a knock on millennials today because I think there's, there's a lot to benefit and there's a lot that all of us can learn from the millennial age group. Uh, millennials, almost half of millennials believe uh, and agree that it's wrong to share one's personal belief with someone of different faith. So although they believe that sharing your faith is part of being a faithful Christian witness, only 47% believe that it's right to do so. Which is interesting when you begin to look on this. And, and like I said, I don't, this isn't necessarily a knock today on millennials because I believe millennials have great intention. I believe they're searching for a more effective means for sharing the good news of the gospel. We live currently in an ever-changing cultural climate, and we're trying to understand how to navigate this and effectively bring the good news of Jesus. What worked 10 years ago and was effective of proclaiming the good news of Jesus, what worked 20 years ago, 30 years ago, it, there, there's a changing cultural climate. There's a cultural pressure that's against us that is attempting to, to cause us to privatize our faith and, and ultimately see Jesus and, and what we believe about Jesus to see that as being oppressive to others rather than see that as the good news of Jesus. 
One researcher said, a growing secularization and waning interest in religious matters have contributed to tension in faith conversations today. And I think we can all agree. I think everyone in this room can say uh, that, that it, there is a sense of, of cultural resistance when it comes to sharing our faith. It seems challenging today. How do we have these conversations? How do we have these opportunities to be a bold witness before God? And, and while there is a cultural resistance, we also have to know that the Bible, though, gives us very clear commands that we're to go and make disciples and that we're going to be witnesses to Jesus to the end of the earth. And so we have commands that, that we need to, to uh, kind of place. We have a cultural resistance, but we also have commands. And how do we be faithful to the commands of God? And, and also knowing that the, this, this pressure is against us. And before we adopt an idea of mainly friendship evangelism, which looks like I'm just going to live a good life, we, we kind of adopt the St. Francis Assisi quote that says, share the gospel and occasionally use words. I think that's um, a bad advice uh, because the gospel is good news. It's not just a good life. It's good news. It's news to share. And I'm, your life should match up with your gospel proclamation, but we need to make sure that there is a proclamation. We need to make sure that we are using words. And so before we adopt this, this idea to go silent about our faith, unless someone were to ask us of our faith, we need to rethink what it means to be a bold witness for God this morning. There is no doubt when we read John chapter 9 of the man who was born blind that this man is a bold witness for God. I, I, I wonder this morning if we could look in the life of this man and go, what, what is it? What is it that allows this man? to be so bold? What can we learn this morning? And today is not so much methods of evangelism. I'm not going to give us, you know, here's four steps to being a faithful witness for God. That has its place, and I think it could be, it could serve us well at times. Uh, but ultimately, my heart today is to help us prepare our hearts to be a bold witness for God. And so I, I got three points that I kind of, three main ideas that I believe surface in this text that I think we would be benefited by if we would turn our attention and see that these things are true of us as well. It's easy to separate us from the story of, of John chapter 9 and this man born blind, and we don't see ourselves in the story. And so the first thing I want to share with you this morning is what I call the power of encounter. The power of encounter. We read in verse 24 of John chapter 9, it says, So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind. Now, if you remember from last week, if you weren't here last week, the man born blind uh, was healed by Jesus. He didn't cry out to Jesus. Jesus saw him, saw him in his needs, and, and came, and Jesus healed him. He put he took the dust of the earth, he spit on the ground, he took mud, he rubbed it on the eyes of the man born blind and told him to go and wash, and the man came back seeing. Miraculous. God brought healing in that moment. And then the man was then presented with three different audiences that he had to defend this, this healing. He was brought before the neighbors, 
The neighbors begin to question. The neighbors begin to to wonder, surely this isn't the same man. They didn't recognize him as the same person who had been sent uh, sitting on the side and and had been begging and had been, they, they said, there's no way. That's not the same guy. And then brought before the Pharisees and the Pharisees are all caught up on the fact of why was this done on the Sabbath? And, and how was this man healed? And then he was brought before his parents and his own parents, although they would identify that is our son, he, they wouldn't speak up about the, the fact of how he was healed. And they said, he is of age, ask him. And he says that they did so because they feared being removed from the synagogue. They, they feared the Jews. And so out of fear of rejection, they backed down. But here you have a man who is born blind and he remains bold. And we see a bold witness for God over and over and over again. And I believe this begins with the power of encounter. So we've gone through these three audiences and he's brought again before the crowd once more. And it says, for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to them, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. They're ultimately telling him, tell the truth. Be honest about how you were healed. We know that this man is a sinner, speaking of Jesus. He answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes. I think often when we think about being a bold witness for God, it means that we have to defend or dialogue about every theological debate that surfaces, right? I mean, they're coming to him and saying, we need you to help defend and give us the characteristics of this person who came. And, and, and ultimately, we want you to answer for this. And I don't know about you, this can be quite intimidating when trying to prepare for every answer and question that we might have right? You think about the, the, the varied t- amount of topics that could surface in a conversation and going, you know, I got to be prepared to answer, you know, for the penal substitution of Christ. Like I need to be prepared to answer, you know, for uh, Calvinism or Arminianism. I need to be able, and in all of these theological debates, and ultimately it pressures us to feel like we need to be a walking systematic theology before we can actually share our faith. And I, I want to give you some hope this morning that in the gospels, what we have is the most fruitful evangelists are the ones who actually just met Jesus. We see the woman at the well, she, she meets Jesus and she goes and testifies to a whole city and said, come see the man who told me everything there is to, 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 to know. And, and, and ultimately says the town believes. Some of these people who have an encounter with Jesus, a real encounter with Jesus, are the most fruitful evangelist. And so a lot of times we can say, you know, I don't know that I, I know enough. I don't know that I'm able to, uh, I, I don't have the nuances of everything I need to know about my faith. And what I love about this man is they begin to say, what do you know about him? What do you know about this character of Jesus? Do you know him to be a sinner? And he's like, here's the thing. I know one thing. One thing I know. I was blind. Now I see. He has an encounter with Jesus. This is the one thing he knows. This is the power of encounter. I want you to hear this morning. Maybe you're here and you're going, I, I haven't had a transformation. I I've always had my eyesight. You know, from the day I was born to now, I can, I can see. There hasn't been that, that miracle of transformation. But if 
you are a Christian and you're here today, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. You've been given a new life in Jesus. You've experienced the miracle of transformation. If you are in Christ, you have been given a new life. So you have a story. You have a story to share. You've encountered Jesus. If you have new life in Jesus, that Jesus caused new birth, new life in you, you've experienced Jesus. You've encountered Jesus. I know this was true for me. My life was radically changed when I was 18 years old. And I never get over that story. I keep sharing. I keep telling people. They're, people ask me. I, I get questions in, in the city and people say, well, well how'd you become a pastor? And I, I say, when I was 18 years old, Jesus changed my life. Jesus invited me into this grand adventure. My question is, is do you remember the moment of encountering Jesus? I look at this story and I I want you to imagine for a moment that last week you were blind and this week you see. I would, if I was a betting person, I would think that if last week you were blind and this week you see, that there would not be a person around you that wouldn't know about that miracle of transformation that happened in your life. But it seems the further we get away from that encounter with Jesus, the less we begin to believe of the miracle of transformation. So we need a fresh encounter. We need a fresh encounter. This, this man was a bold witness for God. Why? Because he just encountered Jesus and experienced this miracle of transformation. Some of us need to be reminded of, of Ephesians 2. We need to be reminded of who we were before we met Christ. We need to be reminded that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. You were dead in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passion of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind. And we were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But here it is, we encountered Jesus, we encountered God. It says, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. When we look back and we remember that story, when we remember the miracle of transformation, we have a story to share. We have, we have an encounter. We have a miracle of transformation that the world is dying to hear. They want to know, is it real? How has your life been transformed? How has your life been changed? All of you in this room are evangelists. I use that term and you, I, I can see some of you kind of like get uncomfortable in your seat like, oh man, evangelism. Like that's the one thing I don't want to do. But you're already an evangelist. Already you want to share that killer vacation you had last summer. You go, I want to tell everybody about it. Let me tell you about this killer vacation. Let me tell you about this amazing ski day I had up in the mountains. Like you would not believe the powder. Knee deep, I was cutting through. Like you'll share that, right? How about the 12 ounce ribeye you had last night? Somebody's like, dude, I want a 12 ounce ribeye. It's 
good news. Everybody wants the good news. Maybe the plot line of the movie you saw this, like we are good news dealers. We are constantly sharing. And, and my question this morning is, do we see the gospel as good news? Do we see it as, as good news? Do we see that Jesus wants to bring transformation? So to get back to that is, how do we, how do we get to a place of fresh encounter with Jesus? When I read John chapter nine, I go, all of this happens so fast. This man's here, he's, he's sitting on the side of the road. The disciples walk by, they're asking questions. They're casting judgment. They're going, is this man blind because he sinned, because his parents sinned? And Jesus is like, no, he's, he's blind because I'm gonna show the power of God at work in his life. And Jesus heals him and then his life is forever changed. And he's brought before all of these different groups of people to testify how he was healed. And he just says the same thing over and over. I was blind, now I see. I was blind, now I see. I was blind, now I see. You have a story, church. You have a story to share. But maybe it's, we've gotten so far away from that story. We, we need a, a fresh encounter. And this is the power of encounter. We see in Acts chapter four, we see Peter and John. It says they're, they're ordinary men, but it says they recognize them as ordinary men who had been with Jesus, right? They had, they had a fresh encounter with Jesus that Jesus, they were just oozing of Jesus. Their lives were saturated with Jesus. They were experiencing the hope they had in Jesus. We think about that passage in 1 Peter uh, 1 Peter 3.15, it says, always be prepared to give an answer for the hope. And a lot of times we're thinking that that tells us, I, I need to know all of my doctrinal truths. I need to have a theological, I need to have it all shored up so that I'm able to share and give an, give an answer. And ultimately it just means be so filled with an encounter with Jesus that you're oozing with Jesus, that you're always able to share about your hope that you have in Jesus. Because today, we're still hoping in Jesus. We're still believing in Jesus. It's not because of my efforts, my good work, my trying harder that gets me to heaven. It's only because of the work of Jesus. And I'm still hoping in Jesus. I'm still hoping in the righteousness of Jesus. And, and he opened my eyes and helped me see my sin and transform my life and changed me forever. And we're still standing on that hope. But we need an encounter. The closer you are to encountering Jesus, the more you are prepared to be a bold witness. And I ask this, and I don't ask this in like a, a weird, like Jesus came out my air conditioning vent. Like I, you've heard these stories, right? But I'm just going, when's the last time you experienced Jesus? That you encountered Jesus. I think about the early church in Acts chapter 4. They, they experienced this pressure. Acts chapter 4 verse 29. It says, And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. They were experiencing pressure. They were experiencing this cultural resistance. But they asked that, that the Lord would help them with all boldness. And it goes in in Acts 4, 31, it says they were filled with the Holy Spirit. They had a fresh encounter with Jesus. What happened out of this encounter of Jesus? Verse 31, and when they had prayed, the place in which they gathered was shaken. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and they continued to speak the word of God with boldness. So 
It was an encounter. They encountered the Holy Spirit. They encountered God in that moment. And it propelled them. It was a catalyst for them to continue to speak the word of God with boldness. This morning, we're gathered here. We're we're meeting here this morning as an opportunity to encounter Jesus. Not just show up and, and get more information, but that you're here this morning because we really want you to encounter him. Because you're going to need an encounter to stand boldly for Jesus out in the world. You're going to need an encounter. You're going to need an encounter with Jesus to step into the second thing what I want, to sh- want us to see, a place of resistance. A place of resistance. Look at the resistance that was against this man. He said, he answered them, I've told you already and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And it says, and they reviled him saying, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. Interesting enough, if you read back, I think it's John chapter seven, verse 27, it says, we do know where he comes from. And that's why they weren't impressed with Jesus because they do know where he comes from. Now they don't know where he comes from. It's interesting how this story keeps changing. Ultimately, they don't want to encounter Jesus. It says, we know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, why? This is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from. And yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this were not from God, he could do nothing. It says they reviled him. They criticized him. They abused him. This man uh, was a little snarky back in his comment in, in saying, hey, Do you want to become his disciples too? This wasn't an actual invitation or inquiring of them of going, hey, you seem interested in Jesus. He can can read through their attempts that they're not necessarily wanting to come to Jesus. They're wanting to condemn Jesus. And so this is a question, kind of a snarky comment back of going, hey, are you wanting to follow Jesus as well? I think for many of us, when we think of sharing our faith or being a bold witness for God, we know that resistance is just around the corner for us. I'll give you a story because I fail in this often. And I, even just this past Monday, uh, I went in attempting to ha- be a bold witness for God in a, in a coffee shop and failed miserably. Uh, walked into a coffee shop on Monday and basically commit everywhere I go to share my story, share the good news of the gospel. And so as I walk into a coffee shop, like I do in most places, I open the door and I say, God, give me someone to encounter and share the good news of the gospel here. And so I went to the counter and I'll I'll tell you, I uh, I wasn't prepared for what I was going to meet at the counter uh, because most of the time, I, this is a coffee shop I regularly frequent, and the barista is not super kind. 
behind the counter. And so I wasn't expecting a, a friendly encounter or a friendly response. And so I kind of was there ordering my food. I was there with my family. My family went and grabbed a seat at the table. I, I want to remind you that 30 seconds before I walked in the door, I'm praying that God would give me an opportunity to share. And I'm standing there at the counter. I'm scanning my debit card. And I look up and she goes, how are you doing today? Good. And I walked away. And I was like, yeah, it was it was right there. It was set up. Like she she's she's like, what do you what do you guys got going today? And in that moment, I'm going, oh, this this is it. But I wasn't expecting it from her. And and so I begin to step back and I'm and I immediately, because of my other encounters with her at this coffee shop, I'm going, this is going to be met with resistance. And I do not want to step in. Anybody else fearful of resistance? Avoid conflict. I'm going, I want to avoid conflict. I do not want to have this conversation. I just want to walk away. Avoid discomfort, right? I think so often we want to avoid these conversations and, and we, have, we don't want to engage in these conversations for fear of being rejected or avoiding or receiving backlash. And so why, why would we want to move into a place of discomfort? And that's, that's, I think that's a good question for us because we're like, man, if sharing your faith is, is really intimidating, if sharing your faith is really scared, if, if being a bold witness for God means receiving backlash, if, if being a bold witness for God means it's gonna lead to my discomfort, why in the world would I wanna step into that? Well, I think Leslie Newbigin, the, the great missiologist, says this. I think the deepest motive for mission is simply the desire to be with Jesus where he is. On the frontier between the reign of God and the usurped dominion of the devil. This is where he, he's like, because that's where Jesus is working. I shared with you guys last week, uh, John Tyson, pastor in New York City, has uh, what, what he calls the, the redemptive edge. And he said that there's, there's a pattern in your life and, and kind of a continuum that it moves from comfort. We all love comfort. We all love being comfortable. We, we, we avoid anything that's gonna lead to discomfort. And so I wanna be comfortable. And then as we get a little more serious about our faith, people begin to ask questions. Hey, you're taking this Jesus thing a little seriously. And it moves to caution, People are, are going to begin kind of just cautioning you. Yeah, be careful with that. You know, I mean, churches are a little weird, you know. They're going to ask you to give your money and like commit your life, you know. So just be a little cautious, you know. And then, and then it goes to concern. Hey, you know what? I'm, 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 I'm growing a little concerned for you. You're, you're spending a lot of time with those, those church people. You're spending a lot of time with people that are Christians. Like, you, you know that... Uh, you know, they're, they're kind of narrow-minded people. They're, they're, not, they're not super open-minded. They're not super receiving or invitational people. I'm really concerned for you. And then it goes out to outright criticism where, where we see in this text that they begin to revile him. They begin to abuse him. They begin to press him out of their midst. And ultimately, this is where Jesus is working. If we look and, and we go and we look at how much of Jesus's ministry was in a place of comfort, you're going to find that 
very little, if none, is actually found in a place of comfort. Jesus lives in between this place of criticism and what we would call darkness, and that's actually where the enemy is working, the, the usurped dominion of the devil. That's where Jesus is. And so we want to be where Jesus is. We want to be working where Jesus is working. We want to be empowered where Jesus is working. And so this is the place. The place of Jesus is, is in between the place of criticism and utter darkness. And this is where Jesus does most of his ministry. And yet most of our ministry happens in between this place of, of kind of comfort and concern. Like we love to be a little bit edgy, enough to make people concerned, but not enough to actually put people uh, on the edge and, and actually receive criticism, right? So we'll, we'll kind of, we'll mention some things about, about Jesus. We'll mention some things. We may, may invite people and just say, hey, you know, we'd love for you to come to Easter, but that's about the extent of what it means to be a bold witness for God. We're never going to step into this place of, of, of criticism. And I just want to encourage you because I, I want you to hear this morning that the reason we would step into this is because this is where Jesus is. This is where Jesus is working. And this is the very place where Jesus is going to, to bring comfort. Matthew chapter 5, verse 10, it says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. And you're like, I don't know. I've never been persecuted for being righteous. That's, that's not how people see me. He says, Blessed are those who are persecuted, for theirs is the kingdom of of heaven, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil things against you. Now, I don't think many of us would consider ourselves blessed if we're like, hey, you know what? This last week at work, I was, you know, the, the, the joke of the office, right? Like they, they continued uh, to, to hurl insults. I, I was the Bible guy and, you know, I'm narrow-minded. And this is, we wouldn't say, hey, we're blessed, but this is what the Bible says. And we got to wrestle with what's true, right? He says, when this happens, how should we respond? Matthew 5, rejoice and be glad. That seems odd. For your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Blessed are you when people persecute you. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? For some of us who say, you know what? I, I believe I can be a bold witness for God and, and not really face resistance. And I feel like that's where we're actually trying to live. We're trying to live in this tension of going, you know what? I, I feel like sharing my faith is wrong. I do believe there are biblical commands. I do believe that it's part of our Christian witness to share our faith, but I, I want to do it in a way um, and, and so we're, we're trying to strategize. We're trying to figure out a way, how can I not face resistance? How can I live in a place of comfort, but yet be a bold witness for God? And I just want to tell you, you can't. You can't. You're not going to be effective. In Acts chapter 26, verse 15 through 18, Paul tells his story of conversion. He's sharing his story when he encountered Jesus. It says, and I said, who are you, Lord? And and the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, but rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose. This is why the Lord appeared before Paul. He says, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from people and from the Gentiles to whom I'm sending you to do what? To open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light 
and from the power of Satan to God. Okay, let me, last sentence there. Not only will you face resistance from the, from the, the culture around us, but you have an enemy that is out to keep pace with you. That when you decide that I'm going to be a bold witness for God and I'm going to step out of a place of comfort into a place of, of living in, on mission with God, you are now working towards turning people from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. Uh, when we decide to advance the mission of God in this world, the enemy is going to be there to push back. The enemy is going to be there with resistance. And you're like, why does this sound appealing, right? Like, why would I do this? I, that, that's my job. As a pastor, I'm going, why, why would we want to step into this? Because I would say what we forfeit when we, when we avoid the place of resistance is growth. When you're unwilling to stay, step into a place of discomfort, you are forfeiting growth. If you've ever been in a gym before, uh, you do what is called resistance training, right? What do you do when you do resistance training? You put a weight and you pull against that weight. You put some resistance on that machine or dumbbells or whatever it is, and, and that's a resistance. And what it ultimately does is it helps you build muscle strength. You grow. The same is true in our Christian faith. Here's what I'd say. Even a dead fish can swim downstream. Okay? It takes no effort. It takes no effort to swim downstream. But you weren't designed to swim downstream. It requires nothing to swim downstream. Some of us are bored with our faith in Jesus because we're not doing the stuff of Jesus. If you want to be excited and empowered and see God move powerfully in your midst, it's in a place of discomfort. And some of us are going, I don't know, man. I don't know if there's much. I'm going, there is an adventure awaiting for you, but it's not in a place of comfort. It's in the place of resistance. It's in the place of resistance. And many of the people we love and many of our neighbors that we love and many of the people that we go to work with, we love. They'll spend eternity apart from God. And so the love of God compels us. The love of God controls us. We want to share Jesus. We want people to know the good news of Jesus. So I'm willing to discomfort myself and to move in a place of resistance so that I can bring the good news of the gospel to a people I love and I care for. The question is, is do you love people enough to step into discomfort with them? The last thing, the people of redemption, the people of redemption. John 9, 34 through 39, it says, they answered him. So, you remember the question at the beginning, the, at the beginning, the disciples asked the question, who sinned? Was it this man or was it his parents? Well, here, this crowd that's gathered around him ultimately say, you were born in utter sin. You were born in utter sin. And would you teach us? It's interesting because I... We hear that from others, and, and not only do we hear that from others, but I think we believe that ourselves. Who am I that I can go and teach someone? Who am I that I can go and share the good news? Who am I that I could be used by God? 
And this is what they're ultimately saying to him. They answered him, you were born in utter sin and would you teach us? You have nothing to offer us. You have nothing to give to us. And it says, and they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. I love that about Jesus. Having found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? He answered, and who is he, sir, that I might believe in him? And I go, this is fascinating because he has been a bold witness. He has shared his story. He has shared his story of transformation. He has stepped into a place of resistance and still he doesn't even have a full understanding of who Jesus is because the last time he saw him, he was blind. He didn't see him. So here Jesus comes to him now that he sees He says, who is he, sir, that I might believe in him? Jesus said to him, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. And he said, Lord, I believe, and I worshiped him. And he worshiped him. Who does God use? I was meeting with with a guy in our church this past week, and as we were sharing stories and, and hearing his story over a period of time, it, it ultimately, if I were to summarize the conversation of who am I that I could be used by God? I feel like a failure. Who am I that, that I, I don't know what I'm doing? I, I can't do anything. I'm, I'm such a failure. And I looked across the table at him. I said, that's exactly the people that God uses. The people who get to a place that say, I don't don't have a clue what I'm doing. I don't know what to do. I don't know a way forward. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to take a next step. Everything I've done has failed. This is the very people that God uses. If you look back through the gospel of John as we've walked through this, who, who has he used? He's used fishermen. And even at that, bad fishermen, right? You remember the story where they come in and they've been fishing all day and, and, and no catch. And Jesus is like, hey, did you try out the left side of the boat? Now, I, I, I just want to ask you a question here today. When's the last time somebody told you how to do your job and that went well? Right? Like these are fishermen And they'd been out fishing and they come in like, we didn't catch anything. And this random guy on shore says, hey, maybe you should cast your net out. And they're like, yeah, yeah, sure, random guy. We're gonna do what you say. And they do. And it says they brought it. I mean, these are the people that really stink at their job. The people who are the outcasts of the society. When you look back in John chapter four, the man that was there at at the, The pool of Siloam. I mean, these are the people. He comes for people. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Like he comes to a people. He comes to a place and a group of people. And he uses people like a blind man that is just on a path as the disciples are heading into town. Are you the type of person that God can use? It's interesting when you look back at, uh, at Paul, when Paul went to Athens, it says in, I think it's like Acts 17, uh, it says he debated, he dialogued. 
I mean, it, he, he used robust theology there at Mars Hill to, to, to debate the things of Jesus. And you know what happened? Uh, there is no mention of a church in Athens that Paul planted. But he leaves Athens after debating using such robust theology and dialogue and, and, and being able to, to stand on a platform and, and, and preach. And he goes from Athens to Corinth and Corinth was the next church that a church was planted. And here's what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 1 through 5. And when I came to you, brothers... I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. Okay? Now, I don't know about you, but that that sounds like me. Okay? Walking into the coffee shop last Monday, I was with you in much fear and trembling. I'm going, I'm not going to share. Right? But what does it say? I was with you in weakness and fear and trembling and my speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom. I had no idea what I was saying. But there was a demonstration of the spirit and of power so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. These are the people that God uses. He uses the weak. He uses the blind man in John chapter 9 to be a bold witness for God. And when God shows up in your weakness, in your voice of going, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. I don't. When he does that, when he shows up, it's so that he gets all the praise and glory and adoration. And it's not because of our dialogue or our debate. It was so well polished that I was able to come in and that, when you move into a conversation in a place of neediness before God and go, I need an encounter. I'm stepping into a place of resistance. I'm scared. And I want to be a person that you use to redeem people that he shows up in spirit and power and that he does miraculous things in our midst. See, there's always been a tendency for Christians to kind of re- withdraw to this closed uh, kind of monastic community. But what's interesting is this is not how the early church began. The early church, as described in Michael Green's evangelism in the early church, he said that Christianity experienced explosive growth because it was accomplished by means of informal missionaries. Christian lay people, not trained preachers, evangelists. It was lay people. It was ordinary, everyday people who had been with Jesus that were taking the mission of God out of the church. It wasn't through formal preaching, but in formal conversation. In homes, in wine shops, on walks, around market stalls. They did it naturally, enthusiastically. Having found treasure, it says, they meant to share it with others to the limit of their ability. And that's what I would say when I think about our mission as a church to see the Salt Lake Valley saturated with the good news of Jesus. It's not gonna happen because we have a platform here on Sunday mornings to share the good news of the gospel, but it's gonna happen when informal missionaries take the good news of the gospel out of this building and begin to see themselves as the people of redemption, the people that God uses 
to see others come to know Jesus. And so what do we need to do? How do we come to a place? How can we leave this morning empowered to do that? And I would tell you this morning, it's not through plausible words of wisdom from Justin Bindle. It's through the power of God. In Luke chapter 11, verses 11, 13, it says, what father among you, if he ask his, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish, give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? To those who ask him. Church, are you asking him? Are you asking him for an empowering of his presence? Are you asking him for the power of the Holy Spirit? I believe there is a group of people here this morning that want to be used by God. They want to experience the power of God in their life. They want to be filled with the power of God to be able to press into resistance in areas of discomfort. And it tells us what we have to do is we have to ask. We have to come to a place where we truly ask for the Holy Spirit to fill us, to give us a fresh encounter, to give us boldness. So this morning, I'm going to invite our worship team to come up and, and play and I'm going to do things a little bit differently and kind of change the flow a little bit to how we normally respond. Typically, we move into a time of communion, but I I want us to pause this morning and, and take a moment and maybe even just thinking on that, that continuum of the, the place of comfort, caution, concern, criticism. Where are you this morning? Where does most of your Christian life, where is that experience? Is it experienced in a place of comfort, of caution, concern, or criticism? And what I want us to do this morning is, I want us to come. And if you're here this morning and you would say, and you would be honest and say, like, I I don't feel empowered to be a bold witness for God, but I want to. I want to see my neighbor transformed. I want to see my neighborhood transformed. I want to see my friends' lives transformed. I want my family to be transformed. I want them to experience and encounter the God I've encountered, the God who opens eyes, the God who heals, the God who comes and totally transforms lives. If that's you this morning, then we got to ask him. We got to ask him to fill us. We got to ask him to empower us to be bold. And so I want you right where you are this morning just to close your eyes. You're like, well, well, why do I got to close my eyes? Well, it says that Jesus would, would frequently pull away from the crowds. So there was a change of posture. Jesus would remove himself from a crowd that he would, he would pull away from the crowd to, to truly experience. And there, there's a sense this morning of going, we're, we're here, we're gathered in a room and we want to be communal. But there's a sense just for a moment of just posturing, I want you to experience Jesus. I read this last week that there's 
there's two beams of the cross and one beam points to heaven. And we want to hear from from heaven. We want to hear from God above. We want to encounter him this morning. And then the, the beam, the other beam is horizontal. And we want that encounter then to impact us and influence us to the relationships that surround us, the people we're sitting next to. It's a communal experience. It's never meant to be privatized, personal. But there's a moment where I just want you to be quiet before the Lord and hear him this morning and ask him. As the early church did in Acts chapter four, Lord, help us to speak your word with boldness. Help us to proclaim your truth with boldness. As you tell us in Acts 1, wait on the Holy Spirit. Don't try to go and be witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria. Wait on the Holy Spirit. So, Lord, we wait for you this morning. We posture ourselves before you this morning. We want to hear from you. We want to encounter you. Lord, we ask you to fill us with the Holy Spirit. Fill us, Lord. I'm going to invite our prayer team to come forward. And I want to just move us into a time of of prayer this morning and then we're going to worship and and take communion together here in a moment. But we are a church that believes that God can do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine, taken from Ephesians chapter three. We believe that God can do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. We see in John chapter nine that God healed people. There are people who are here this morning. And as you see this transforming work that Jesus does in John chapter nine, you go, yeah, I I read that. I know this was written in the Bible long ago, but I'm suffering today. I'm experiencing pain today. I'm experiencing sickness and ailments today. Will Jesus heal me? And I don't know the answer to that question. I know Jesus has the power to heal. And I know that Jesus has told us to ask him to heal. And so this morning you come and, and you go, I, I want a fresh encounter, but I feel like there's things that are holding me back. There's a need for physical healing. There's a need for spiritual healing. There's a need for emotionally healing. And this morning, we just don't feel like we're in a place that we can be moved to a posture. I I love what, what Jesus does in John chapter nine as he comes and he takes what is broken in the world and he renews it and restores it and gives sight to it. 
And then this man is empowered to be a bold witness. So I go, there's probably things in a similar fashion that are holding us back this morning. And that if we had a fresh encounter, if we had the power of an encounter, if, if the Holy Spirit were to truly come down on this place this morning and bring healing, that it might move us to a place and posture us in a place that we could be a bold witness. And I believe that he wants to do that for some. And I believe he will do that for some. And when he doesn't do that for some, all we do is we keep asking. We ask again. I think there's always a fear when we, we pray and we ask God to heal that if he doesn't, what do we do? And, and is God a failure? Am I a failure? Did I lead us to a place of, 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 place of doubt or a place of not believing? And, and I would just say it's, it's to move us to an inclination to just continue asking, that we ask again, that we ask again. He's a good father. He's a good father. And as that passage told us, how much more will Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So this is what I'm gonna do this morning. Our prayer team is here. They had no idea how I was gonna lead into this morning or how we would find ourselves in this time of response. And maybe even they this morning feel a sense of hesitancy of going, what do I pray? here's what I find fascinating about Jesus in the gospels. The longest prayer that Jesus prayed for healing was pick up your mat and go. Pick up your mat and go. Six words. That's all it took. Six words. Life forever changed. If you're here this morning, and you would say, I need healing for anything and everything. I'm going to invite you to come forward to our prayer team and have them pray for you. Have them pray for you. And then I would invite you, if you're here this morning, and you would say, I don't need a fresh encounter. I've never encountered Jesus. And I want the Holy Spirit to fill my life this morning that you would come and have someone pray for you and invite Jesus Christ to come into your life and change it forever. And then as we begin to see God heal, because I believe God will if we'll ask and we'll continue to ask. So whatever it is, whatever you need healing for, whatever you need prayer for, encountering Jesus, experiencing Jesus, broken relationships, broken marriages, you need healing this morning. Let's bring it before the God who can do immeasurably more this morning. I'm gonna pray. We're gonna sing a song together. And during that song, uh, I just invite you to come and pray with our prayer team. If you're here this morning and you just said, hey, I just want to come and ask myself. We've never done this before, but here's what I would tell you. In the same way that we change our posture, I want to invite the front of this room 
to just be a place of kneeling before the Lord. A place of coming before the Lord and just putting ourselves on our knees. It says in this passage that when he truly experienced Jesus, it says he worshiped him. And one of the things we see throughout the gospels is we see we see the woman who comes and pours expensive oil at the feet of Jesus and lets down her hair. It's extravagant worship. And this morning, as a way of just changing your posture before the Lord, of really solidifying this morning of going, Lord, I want to come before you and ask. I'm asking you to actually change your posture, to change your place in the room and come and just kneel before the Lord here in the front and say, I need you. I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I want to be a bold witness for God this morning. So Father, Would you be with us in our time of response this morning? Would you be with us as we respond to the good news of Jesus this morning? Would you be with us as we come? Would you fill us with your healing? Would you fill us not with plausible words of wisdom or intellect, but we need more of the spirit of God. We wanna be filled. So Lord, do that this morning. We just follow in the steps of the early church. We don't wanna take a step without you. So Lord, we wait on the Holy Spirit to come. Lord, we pray in the next few moments that you would heal people. You would heal people emotionally, physically, spiritually, relationally. Lord, whatever it is that you would bring healing in this room. Your presence is here. Your presence is here. We wanna experience it. We wanna encounter it this morning. We pray this and ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's stand, let's sing, let's respond, let's move this morning and allow Jesus to fill us.